Welcome to the Parent Points Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Cabot. The mission of this podcast is to help you, the parent, realize and accomplish this truth. You are the primary disciple maker of your child. I truly believe that this podcast only helps one parent grasp this and apply it to their home. It is 100% worth it. Well, this topic uh, for this episode is one that I think is going to really strike the hearts of a lot of parents that are going to be listening. And it's how to navigate conflict uh, in a household where students are aware of what's going on and the tension between mom and dad. They hear the yelling, they hear the slamming of the doors, they hear all of it. Uh, Sometimes there's yelling, sometimes there's just really, really tense conversation. We've all been there, but uh, it's a totally different when you have an infant and you're having an argument because they don't know what's going on. Um, but I want us to take some time to talk about how to navigate this conflict and how you can use this really to show grace, show love in your marriage that will impact the life of your student uh, long term. Now, I'm really excited about uh, our guest today because Chris Boyd is somebody who uh, God really brought us together in a super unique way. And I don't know that I'll ever be united or joined with somebody probably in the same way ever again. But I was on staff at a church uh, with a guy named Harold Harper. uh, And he is a prayer warrior. He's somebody that really uh, uh, spends time just discipling people one-on-one. And I I worked with Harold for a couple of years. And he was from where I was moving to near Nashville. And he said, man, when you get up there, you got to link up with Chris. You've got to link up with this guy. I I know him. I've prayed with him. You've got to link up. So I was in Nashville, Hendersonville for a couple of months and me and Chris linked up. And for about three years, me and Chris were on and again, off again, right? (laughs) About praying and and engaging in God's word together. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's sad that there's not many people specifically on the male side that just gather together and pray on a weekly basis. And so, well, Chris, I want, I, I want to thank you uh, for just the time that we've shared doing that together, but I also want to just introduce you to the podcast. So how are you doing, man? You doing well? Yeah, man, I'm doing well. Thanks so much for the invite. And man, it was a joy doing that with you for three years. It's been awesome. Yeah, it, it was, it was a lot of fun um, and, and, and just getting to know your heart. And it's weird how you get to know somebody's heart through praying together. I mean, I know we had several conversations like about, life and stuff but i mean i feel like we know each other more on a deeper level just through that prayer time together so yeah absolutely and my wife and i have a rule that we only pray with each other or with people of the same gender because it's it's such an intimate time it's just powerful to see what god does and how he brings people closer together as we spend time with him that's right that's right well chris um the mission of this podcast really is just to help parents realize they're the primary disciple of their student and how they are to do that now before we jump in, I, I know we shared notes and we didn't talk about this beforehand, but you're, you're going to share your story here in a second. Uh, before, before we do this, because I've had pastors on here and you're kind of the first, I would say, non-pastor, I would say probably mm-hmm. on, on the show. I want you to share a little bit about what you do, uh, where you're at, um, because one excuse that we hear in this ministry world about parents not discipling their kid is, I don't have enough time. And I know you, but I want the parents to know you, what you do and kind of and just from a professional level and how that takes up a lot of your time and all that kind of stuff. So could you just share just a little bit about what you do on a professional level and where you're at? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So I currently work for a company called Built Technologies out of Nashville. 
and uh, we're one of the fastest growing technology companies based here and just recently announced a, a Series C where we raised another $88 million. And I currently serve as the vice president of product there, leading a team of about 15 or 16 product managers and product designers. And so I've been with the company now for about five years and I was employee number 17 when we started and we've grown it pretty significantly. We're going to cross the 200 employee mark here soon. And so I serve as an executive there and help guide a lot of what we're doing to bring software into the construction industry specifically. Um, and then beyond that, I'm married with my wife. We have two kids who are 10 and 11. And uh, on top of that, we're really, really plugged into our church and serving there. Really, really passionate about that and the importance of the local church. And uh, then I also most recently was serving as, as coach for my son's baseball team and a slew of other things. But those are a few of the highlights and some stuff that we're really passionate about. Right, right. So to say the least, time is very valuable in what you do and you don't have a lot of spare time. So when you use it, you definitely are uh, intentional with it. Well, um, for the listener, you know, Chris uh, is married to his uh, wife, Sydney. Uh, I've asked him on the podcast because he has a very unique um, story, Uh, maybe one that's more, I guess, less common nowadays, unfortunately, with, you know, uh, the bigger details. But Chris, I want you to share your story with our listeners, with our parents, because we are going to talk about this navigating conflict and how to deal with this and how it impacts the the student, as well as how to use it as a, a discipling tool. So, Chris, I really just want to give you the the Zoom microphone or the AirPods as you're wearing. And uh, I just really want you to just share your story about what God's done and brought you through in your marriage. uh, And really, uh, we'll ask some questions and get into some stuff uh, later as you share. Awesome. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And, you know, my ask for anyone listening is know that we did a lot of things wrong in all of this and that anything we did right was not myself or my wife. I just pray that God would receive all of the glory from this because the only reason that my wife and I are still together is because of what he did. So uh, with that in mind, just a few, a few components of our story that I think are really important to hit on. My wife and I met um, being both raised in the church. We met in the church and we were teenagers at the time. And it was really, really early in our experiences for dating and and just being with other people like that. And so she was my first, I was her first to even go out on a date together. And we were 17 and 16 at the time. And at the time, she actually didn't live in the area. She lived up here in, in Nashville while I was living in Florida. And so ultimately she ended up moving down there with her family and that's when we started dating and spending time together and uh, it was really awesome at first it was really healthy it was very biblical in a lot of ways and of course it didn't take long for that to change and um you know we had some people in our lives kind of pouring into us but i didn't really have a mentor at the time guiding me through a lot of that and so i, I made a lot of really really poor decisions throughout that and so that began like an on again off again relationship for she and i for over the the course of three years. And as these things often do, it ended up in a situation where she, she calls me one day while I'm actually in another state visiting family and she says, I'm pregnant. And of course, that just started a whole roller coaster of emotions. And, and so through that, um, at first, I just had this very fleshly, I don't want to have to deal with this. I've got other plans. I was about to go off to college, et cetera. And fortunately, I had a really, really incredible counselor at the time because my parents were going through a really gnarly divorce. And so I was going to that counselor for help with the divorce. And now now I had a whole other set of topics to bring to him. 
And what I really appreciated is he was really, really frank with me. And he just said, listen, you know what you need to do in this situation. You have to take personal responsibility. This isn't one of those things where you can fudge it a little bit and say, oh, I can use scripture to justify different behavior. You know what you need to do. And he went even a step further and he said, if you don't do what you know you need to do and what God's calling you to do, I won't respect you and others shouldn't respect you for that decision. And that was a complete contrast to a lot of what I was hearing from family and friends of, you know, do you do what you want to do, you know, follow your heart, take care of yourself, you know, consider your dreams, all that stuff. And by God's grace, uh, ignored a lot of that and, and leaned in and felt really confident that Sydney and I were supposed to be together. So I ended up proposing to her. Uh, we ended up getting married just a couple months before our daughter Amara was born. This was in uh, 2009. And I'd love to tell you that like, oh, it was a fairy tale from that point on, but it, it wasn't. Um, we, I didn't have any money. I was working at Best Buy, it was, it was rough. And so we ended up moving in with her family and that created a whole other set of dynamics. Um, you know? <laughs> and so we did that for a while and it was, it was so rough between Sydney and I, because we're, we're young, we don't have a really strong theological foundation. You know, there are just lots of dynamics there where she was more comfortable with her family than she was with me. And so you can just imagine a lot of the dynamics that created. So we're trying to raise a newborn and she and I are arguing frequently. And ultimately I, I came to her and I said, listen, we can't do this. We can't stay like this. I'm going to find a place for us to live where you and I can focus on our relationship. And I did, uh, fortunately, and uh, she wasn't interested in, in joining me there. So I said, all right, well, I'm going to move there and I'm going to set us up. And then you join me there as soon as you're comfortable so that we can raise our family together. And she never did. And so for several months, I lived solo there just in tears frequently over, you know, my family and we're separated, et cetera. And so she called me one day and she said, listen, I'm, I'm moving back to Nashville and you can either come with me or we can get a divorce. And I'd never been to Nashville before. So I said, well, I'm going to Nashville. Um, I just had a total peace that that's what I was supposed to do. So picked up, moved. And I said, my only, my only condition in this is that we have to live together, just you and I, uh, with our baby then. And we actually had another one on the way at that point. And so we moved into Nashville. First time I ever moved, we got here. I got stuck in the snow. It was in February. It was rough. Just thought, man, what have I done? I left Florida for this. Yeah. Um, but we did end up living in an apartment together. And uh, again, I'd love to say, oh man, that's where it all got so much better. But what I immediately fell into is this responsibility to provide for my family. And so I just started justifying working all the time. Uh, we were on food stamps, we were on uh, whip. I mean, it was just crazy. And as a part of that, I would just sink myself into work for hours. And so she and I would just get more and more separated over that. And I felt completely justified, like this is what I've got to do. And so again, she was closer to our family through all of that. We weren't going to counseling. Uh, we now have two kids at that point, and it was it was just really really difficult. So, in 2011, um, her her dad, my father-in-law, passed away, and that was really really hard for her, mm -hmm. and that took a toll for, on us for a little while there. And she had always been really gifted in music, and so she started a band with her brother in Nashville and they did really, really well performing downtown. And, and so I was supporting her in that. I ended up going back to school. It was crazy. Um, working full time, <clears throat> going back to school, two kids in diapers. She's in this band, you know, starting sometimes at midnight and playing till four in the morning. And it just took a strain. Like it was a really hard time for us. And 
um, or you mentioned Harold earlier, it was around that time that Harold and I had started meeting about a year prior to that and praying together. And God was just doing an incredible work in my heart and um, didn't realize what he was doing, but realized in retrospect that he was preparing me for some things. And so one day I, I finally quit the job that was taking up so much of my time, got a different job. And one day while I was at work, my wife texted me and said, I need, I need to tell you something, you know, something's happened. And of course I've got a million things running through my head. What is this? What is this? And she confesses to having an affair with somebody who is, who is in the band. And it just, it took the wind out of my sails. I mean, mm. I can't, I can't even put it into words. I, I went into a meeting at work immediately after that and I was shaking so much. I was able to call it a sick day because they saw that I just wasn't well. Mm. Fortunately, they didn't know why. And um, so I, I contacted Harold and we met up and we spent hours just praying together in a gazebo <laughs> on a Catholic church property <laughs> in Hendersonville. And, uh, you know, through that time of just anguish and praying and crying um, he asked me, what is God telling you to do? And I said, well, he's, he's telling me to stay. I need, I need to see this through. And he didn't say it then, but in subsequent conversations, he said, well, you realize now that God has given you the peace that you're supposed to do that, that it doesn't matter what actions Sydney does or, or her behavior after this, that's your calling. That's what he's called you to do. Mm. And so I'm so grateful for his, for God's using of Harold in those situations and speaking into my life because um, the next 18 months were just hell on earth of absolutely being in a very, very different place than Sydney, her not leaving the band and still being a part of that lifestyle for quite a while. And it was just really, really hard. And meanwhile, raising this, those two kids. So uh, what I will say is that throughout it all, God gave me peace that I was doing what I was supposed to do. And that my role in all of this was not to expect something from Sydney, but was to love her in spite of what had happened. And that in the same way, God did that for me and has done that for each of us. And so that's just an incredible calling. And I just couldn't shirk that. There was, there was no way. Um, and every once in a while, she even still brings it up because I don't know why you stayed. Mm. And I, I'll joke and say, I'm just too afraid of God to leave. Like, there's no way I'm going to do that because I know what he's called me to. So all that to say, you know, you fast forward, she and I are, are in the best place we've ever been as far as our marriage is concerned at this point. And God got a hold of her heart from a theological perspective and really has rooted her deeply in the word. And uh, we've gotten to raise our kids now, homeschooling them and discipling them. And, you know, I don't have a chip on my shoulder about any of that stuff. It's just, it's what God brought us through and he had a reason and a purpose. Um, but I believe that he's used it for his glory and for the betterment of our marriage and our children. I would never wish it on anyone, mm. but, um, I, I, you know, the real punctuation, if you will, or exclamation point on the tail end of this is that God did miraculous things in the midst of horrible situations and changed people radically for his glory. And hopefully that can be used to benefit more than just Sydney and I and our kids as we know that a lot of other people are, are struggling with this and uh, your, your flesh wants to make all the wrong decisions. So that's a little bit of, of our story. I can certainly go much deeper, but uh, that's the abbreviated version. Right. Right. Well, I appreciate that, Chris. I really do. Thank Thank you for sharing that. I know that, um, you know, I've not been through anything that that serious uh, before in my life or, you know, even, even, you know, in my marriage, but I know it always brings up things. And so I really appreciate you just being vulnerable and sharing with us. Um, well, Chris, before we kind of dive deeper into that and, and kind of the parenting through that type of stuff, 
I kind of just want to pull back and just speak about conflict in general. Like we have parents that, that, you know, they're, they're like you, they're vice presidents and companies or they're working, they're, they're, they're busy, busy as busy can be. I mean, they're going crazy. Um, and so conflict is inevitable. I, I think we need to get better at not avoiding conflict. We need to become better at dealing with conflict, right? Like we don't need to assume that life is just going to be conflict free. We need to know conflicts coming and how to handle it. So I just want to ask, would you kind of talk through what you do uh, from a professional standpoint and even in your marriage, like when conflict arises, because we both know it does, what do you do? And let me put a little caveat in there. Do you handle it differently at home than you do work? Or do you try to keep the same thought process in regards to conflict? Just so you're kind of, you're not having to juggle different thoughts in regards to that. Sure. Yeah. So there's a lot there. I would say, first of all, from a conflict perspective, you have to know where you're starting from, right? I think sometimes we think I'm starting this conversation in the right. I have a perspective on this. That's the right one. And this other person is wrong. So I want to just crush that and say from the beginning, you are depraved. <laughs> like right, start right. there, right? You are sinful by nature and you are at, constantly at war between your flesh and your spirit and your flesh is everything that you want. And right. So in a conflict situation, you want something, you want somebody to behave differently. You want them to think differently. You want them to understand where you're at in a way that's different than the way that they're acting or behaving. And so if you can start from that place of like, wait a minute, maybe I'm wrong, right? Like, I think that's just a really, really important component to it. And you have to be vulnerable. Um, I think trust is just super, super important. And so when I think about engaging conflict in the context of my home, it, I frequently make the mistake of letting my guard down, if you will, in the sense of like, these are my family members. So I can just, you know, throw something out there. It could be a sarcastic comment. It could be like, oh man, I wish you'd just hurry up and whatever, because it's my family. But what I'm doing is I'm hurting them and I am creating actual conflict that didn't need to be there where I could have spoken with a you know, perfect combination of grace and truth into the situation and prayed over that. And so that's a mistake I'm prone to make at home. And so after that, right, in trying to resolve that conflict, I, I either have to repent in that moment or because I'm, I'm a human being and I'm fleshly in a lot of ways, I have to step away and just process for a little bit. And it drives Sydney nuts sometimes that I just have to go into a dark room for a bit and just think about it. But it's usually in that time where I pray and I tell God where I'm at and ask him to show me where I'm wrong. And almost every time I'm wrong, like, it's not like I go in there and go, nope, I'm, I'm absolutely right. And I'm going to hammer this home. He always reveals something in that. And so then I can come back out and be raw and real and vulnerable and say, this is what I did, did incorrectly. Now, on the flip side of somebody else, if Sydney, for instance, has done something I disagree with, you know, I think that you have to, as the spiritual leader in your home, have tough conversations. Like you can't run away from those things. And sometimes that does create conflict, but you also have to prioritize those things. I know that a lot of people struggle with, you know, a family member is gaining weight or, they are not picking up the house or I wish they cook more meals or whatever it may be. And those are all really good things and God given responsibilities to, to both men and women in a husband and wife relationship, but it's not worth prioritizing that over your relationship with that person at any point, right? Like you can have conversations about those things and not redefine who they are in that context. Like if you don't start doing these things, then you don't respect me or love me or honor me. Like, come on, man, who are, who are you <laughs> right. to, to cast that stone, right? So that's that's just something I would encourage people to, to contemplate. And, and to your question about work, 
I definitely engage it differently at work, right? Being in a leadership position at work, I have some people who report to me and I handle it one way there where I'm helping coach them and I'm trying to make them better as professionals and giving them feedback, always with a constructive bent to it, unless it's something that's really severe, if you will. And then I have colleagues and I have people that I report to and I have to take a little bit of a different tact there. But ultimately, I think a lot of it comes down to trust. Um, this is not a biblical book, but there's a, a book called The Speed of Trust by Steve McCovey. It's really, really good. Gives you a lot of practical tips on how to identify where trust is lacking and then how you can make targeted investments to increase that trust. Because in the absence of trust, conflict is ugly because you're just you're coming at it just assuming the worst of the other person and vice versa. So you have to start with that foundation of trust and if it doesn't exist, you have to start building that. So I know that was verbose, but that's the way I think about conflict in those two contexts. Yeah, that's good. No, that's good. Yeah. Uh, see, like Alyssa and I are the opposite, just like you and Sydney. Like we, like Alyssa wants the process, right? She's like you. She doesn't want to talk about it in the moment. She doesn't want to, you know, she wants to go away or just sit and just chill for a second before we have this conversation. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're going to talk this out. As you can tell, this there, there brings a lot of conflict just in our differences in that way. And I'm like, I'll stay up till 1 a.m. even though I'm exhausted. And we're going to talk this out. I don't care what it is. We're going to we're going to hash it out right here, right now. Alyssa's like, no, no, no. I need my sleep <laughs> and we're going to go to bed. We're going to wake up. We're going to talk about it later. But now let, I want to shift that to parent, like, because I mean, you have a, a 10-year-old and 11-year-old. Is that right? Yep. That's yep. right. 10 and 11. So uh, one's in middle school, one's about to be in middle school. We're kind of, they're right there in that middle school age range. So we have parents listening, sixth through 12th grade parents that been through something like you and Sydney, they're going to be, or they're going through stuff right now. And their middle school or in high school is seeing the conflict. So with your kids, when you and Sydney are in this moment where it's tense, it's, it's a heated conversation, you disagree on something, what, how do you handle that with your kids there? Are you the type of parents that say, hey, we're going to parent really well. Let's wait till they go to bed and have this conversation. Are you, do you have those conversations in front of your kids to show them what a healthy, I, I don't know. And, and to be honest, I'm looking for coaching here too, because as my daughters grow up, like I want to, I want to know what that's like and how to do that well. But how would you kind of, how would you encourage parents in that, in that way? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that you have to be sensitive to the topic and exactly what it is that you're disagreeing about. You know, so Sydney and I will frequently discuss the message, if you will, on Sunday afterwards coming back from, from church, and we may disagree about some aspects of it, or she may really feel strongly about something. We will have absolutely no problem whatsoever having those conversations in front of our kids. Like, that's, that's an easy one. Um, and even if it does get a little bit heated, right, there's a lot to unpack there with the kids. Now, if we're talking about, um, you know, disciplining our children and how we do that, or we're talking about, you know, dynamics with extended family members where we don't want to taint their perspective of those people and the, the stuff that we're observing, we will be very intentional to not have those conversations in front of them and, and find a time and a place where we can go into a room and, and discuss those things. But I, I definitely would encourage people not to shy away from tough conversations in front of your kids if you can then turn it into an opportunity to encourage them or shape them and their perspective on certain things, because you're, you're lying to them. If you're suggesting that our relationship is always hunky dory and we're always going to get along and we're always going to agree. And right. my kids know that's not the case. <laughs> and so uh, some frequently in those situations, especially if true conflict arises, someone or both people need to repent to one another for what they did. 
And sometimes you have to also repent to your kids. I was disrespectful to mommy the way I said those things. Mm. That was not kind. I was not modeling what God calls me to model as the husband and father here. And so, and it's hard, but you got to be vulnerable. And I think that makes a huge difference. And when your kids see that, like it doesn't taint their perspective that, oh, my, my parents are you know not as perfect as I thought they were. Darn right we're not. Like you want them to see you for who you are and being vulnerable and repenting is a key component of that. Right. Yeah. And, th- and that was, that's kind of leads us into the next question. Do you believe that your marriage to Sydney impacts your kids right now? Like your students, do you believe that? And do you think it impacts how they interact and engage with their future spouse one day? Like, is, do you feel that's to be true? Oh yeah. Big time. Uh, and I can say that as a child and having observed my parents who are now divorced, um, And then I also see it even with our kids. I mean, I can give you numerous examples, but when you are interacting as a husband and wife and you love each other and you're displaying that love and affection toward one another and serving one another, that sends some pretty strong messages. Like, I love the fact that my kids kind of go, ooh, gross or whatever when we kiss and stuff like that. Like, I want that all day long because they know that I love my wife and they know that she loves me and that we're going to demonstrate that affection, affection toward one another. But what I will say is, in that time where Sydney and I were going through so much heartache and pain, it was really difficult then because we were at very different places. And she would even say that she was not in a good place spiritually. God was doing incredible things in my heart through that time. And it was really, really hard for us not to have tension consistently. And so in the midst of all of that, right, like your, your kids do pick up on those things. And I would just encourage you, like, don't always have an answer for it. Don't say, oh, mommy's just doing that thing, or I'm just frustrated, whatever. Just pray. Like, if they feel it, the only thing that's going to change the situation is God. And so train them that in those tough situations where you don't have an answer, you can't just throw a Band-Aid on it. Like, get together as a family and pray. And God, we need peace in our home. We need you to intervene. We need the spirit to overwhelm the flesh here as we try and do all these things and interact and have these relationships, I've found that just goes a really, really long way. Mm. That's, that's really insightful. Cause I, I feel like so often, like you said, we, we really want to portray this almost, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if it's a culturally, you know, imposed thing, but this fairy tale marriage and only let our, you know, kids see this thing. And really we're doing more harm than good because they go into a marriage or they go into their relationship with their boyfriend and girlfriend and, think that that's how it's supposed to be. And in reality, if we are all being vulnerable, it's not how it goes. It's not, it's not how it is. So thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Um, so, you know, you've alluded to your story, what you and Cindy went through, you've alluded to kind of uh, the affair, the things that you've done wrong, the things that she's done wrong. And, and y'all are, I know you in, in particular are open on these types of platforms for what happened, but I kind of want to shift. Like, do you talk to your kids about this? Um, is this something that you've shared with your kids and why, if, if so, or if not, why have you taken that approach? Cause I know that we have parents here that um, you know, whether they're homeschooled or they're in public school, like there's a very different approaches when parents in regards to discipling their kids what they share with them and what they don't, what mom and dad go through, what mom and dad don't, you know, another one that I know is a hot topic is, you know, finances, like do like sharing the finances with the kids, like, Hey, we're broke or, Hey, we, this is, this is a problem or anything like that. So I was curious, like, could you just share a little bit about that? Like, did you guys talk to your kids about this? And Mm -hmm. if not, are y'all, have y'all prayed through and are y'all 
trying to think about when that moment is because um, yep. I think it'd be really beneficial to our parents. Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked, Sydney and I, about this at length. And historically, we've never communicated the, the details or anything like that with our kids together. What we've started doing, especially as they're entering puberty and all the fun associated with that, um, <laughs> Sydney one-on-one with our daughter has started to have some of these conversations and to be transparent. Um, I am going to be doing that with my son. He's a little, he's the one that's younger, so he's not quite there yet. Uh, but we're just, we felt a piece about tempering what we share with, you know, when he's actually starting to experience some of these attractions and things like that, because mm-hmm. it's very, very relevant at that point. And prior to that, it just seemed extremely foreign. Why would you even, you know, that sort of thing. So that's, that's been our approach to date, you know, ask me again in 12 months. And I imagine that we will have shared in pretty significant detail with both of them, a lot of what transpired there, but, you know, I, I will say across the board, Sydney to her credit, has the philosophy and calling and all of this to say that anybody who needs to hear our story, including our children, if God can use it for his glory, needs to hear it. And we just check the pride, you know, at the door. And I I say that as though, you know, she's the only one who made mistakes. I made a ton of mistakes and I did not lead my family well through that. And so in the same way, I've told her, you share our story with anyone that you feel you want to share it with. And so when it comes to our kids, we've just prayed about, I'm prayed about that and have a piece about waiting just a little bit longer. Um, But as it relates to, other topics, finances, and other things like that. We've certainly started discussing those things with the kids. Um, We do so in the context of, hey, we can't go and do this thing because we don't have that in the budget, or that's going to cause us to go over boundaries that we've set. Um, We, you know, the church we've been a part of for quite some time now, there's a term called fight the drift. Mm -hmm. And the drift is like the temptation of anything, right, that causes you to drift away from scripture and, and obedience to what God has called us to. Finances are a very easy spot to drift. So we talk about that. I know we have to fight that drift. We can't. I know we all want to go eat there tonight, but we can't. We've got to fight that. I know we all want to go get this toy, whatever. Used to be go see this movie, but we got to wait a little bit longer for that. Right, right. <laughs> um, uh, but we got to fight that. And so, you know, there's just this dying to self that has to happen on a daily basis. And so we use things like finances as an example uh, and some application for that. That's good. That's good. So, uh, I know, I mean, I, I know specifically because parent, there have been several parents that have emailed back to me and even texted me about, you know, they're going through some difficult things and they're not, they're no longer married to the the father or the mother of their kid. They've been through something like you and Sydney had, and they, they didn't make it. They didn't make yep. it where y'all are at. Um, in the context of discipling your kids and what y'all have been through, uh, knowing that you're where your kids are at entering in middle school and you have obviously have been a high schooler at some point in your life, right? Like, what do you say to those parents that it didn't end well? It didn't end in this, not that your marriage is a fairy tale, as you mentioned, but like this, it didn't end in this reconciliation, this openness, this vulnerability. What do you say to those types of parents who have middle schoolers and high schoolers that are listening and watching and knowing that their parents are divorced, right? Like you, your parents were divorced. My parents were divorced. Like, what do you, what do you say to those parents now? Yeah, it's, it is hard for me, especially for those who are going through the process and debating divorce, right? Because I, I have a bent right toward what God brought us through. And, but I'm not going to suppose that that's God's calling on every marriage and that he's going to lead those involved to, to stay together. And obviously there's room in scripture where if, if somebody has had an affair, that there's space to, to leave. Um, what I will say is that 
regardless of the situation or dynamic, it doesn't increase or decrease your need for God and all of that. Yeah. You, you needed God desperately when your marriage was great and you need him desperately now that your marriage either doesn't exist anymore or is in a really, really rough spot. So pursue him in all of that and know that even if your marriage was reconciled, that's not going to bring you satisfaction or happiness, right? Like you can't look at our situation with Sydney and I and say, man, if only that had happened, I'd be in a better spot now. Like that's, that's just not true. Like at the end of the day, you desperately need Jesus and nothing and no one else. And nobody is going to make you happy on this earth in a way that satisfies eternally. And so in the situation that you're in, if you are divorced, man, pursue God in that and in that place, because he can be everything and he wants to be everything that you need, but you got to chase after him. And, you know, how gracious is it that he pursued us first? And now we respond to his pursuit of us by then turning around and pursuing him. So in the midst of that, love your children, forgive the person that offended you, or, you know, maybe they were the ones at fault and that led to the divorce there's a difference between forgiving and reconciling. Mm -hmm. You can forgive someone and never reconcile with them. Right. But that doesn't, if you don't reconcile with them, that doesn't mean that there's this thing hanging over you. You can, you can forgive them. God will lead you to that place. So just submit to him in the process. I'll, I'll be real with everyone listening. I, when Sydney first confessed to me, I, I told Harold, I said, I need to read about somebody who's been through something worse than I have in the Bible and how they handled it. So I, all I did, was I read Job and I read Psalms over and over and over again, just those two over and over and over again. And I'll tell you what, like, it's just amazing to see what God does through his word when you are absolutely at the end of your rope. Mm. And so just, just remember that the way you feel doesn't change how desperately you need God. You always needed him as desperately as you may be feeling now. Lean on that feeling to go after him because now you're motivated. And you need him and he will satisfy. And it's the well that never runs dry. Mm, that's so rich. That's so rich. Um, now, I know on the at the top of the show, before we kind of record, started recording, you were super passionate about talking about this last question, um, about what you are currently doing with your kids and how you're discipling them now. Uh, will you just, you know, you're busy, you're a busy man, you, you're coaching baseball, you're a VP at your company, you're doing all this stuff. You're very plugged in at your church there in Nashville. I mean, you are your calendar is packed. Right. Um, so we hear the excuse you're too, I'm too busy to disciple my kid or I don't know how to disciple my kid. So just for a very practical for our parents right now, what are you doing? How do you make time and how do you kind of be faithful in discipling your students? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll be honest. I, I was really convicted in this last year and that I was not discipling my children as intentionally as I should and fortunately, God brought some really amazing spiritual leaders into my life to help give me some guidance. Um, uh, also watched some great movies um, on AGTV, American Gospel TV. They have some awesome stuff that just encourages you in what it means to disciple your children and to catechize them in the word. And so what we started doing at the beginning of 2021 is we... We have family worship every day, um, and it's not perfect. There are some days we miss for sure, but family worship is a time to come together, eliminate all the distractions. It can take 15 minutes or less. You know, don't, don't have to block off an hour of your day, but in that time, we are in the word. We may be reading Psalms. Uh, we read liturgies of prayers that other people have written, which I was just found to be extremely valuable. Um, 
There's a book called Every Moment Holy that's really, really great for that. Um, we then read Charles Spurgeon, um, Morning and Evening, which is really, really lofty, but don't worry, they have a version of it that's written in accessible English. And so we'll usually read a little bit of that. Um, and then we'll have a time of prayer during that. And then we usually finish by singing the doxology together. And so that is one of the ways that I disciple my children. I think it's just really important for me to lead them in family worship on a daily basis. And it's been amazing to see the conversations that come of that. We don't just read this stuff and go, cool, let's close the book. We read it. What did you get out of that? What are the, some of the questions you have? And we just have a dialogue about it. Um, and that has been, I mean, I hope it's been great for my kids. It's been great for me. I know that in the process, God's just revealed some incredible things there and for Sydney and I. But beyond that, we also homeschool our children. And a key component of that and the curriculum that we use is training them up in the word. So theology is so important. Like I can't, I can't overstate that. And I don't mean theology in some, you know, you, you go put your nose in a book at a you know university and then you come out with all this head knowledge. I mean, theology as the true biblical understanding of who God is and who I am in relation to him. And so we pour into our kids in the context of homeschooling them about what theology means. They're, they're studying homartiology, the history of sin right now, which as you understand the history of sin, you understand more and more about your own depravity, which brings you closer and closer to God. So that's, that's a what part of the way that we disciple our children. I talked a little bit about the way we dialogue after the message on Sundays. Um, and then we get in Christian community. We want them to have time with their friends and we want them to be surrounded by people who care about discipling their children. And we're, we're even now looking at how can we focus more on catechizing uh, with the Heidelberg Catechism and the Westminster Catechism and some of these other really amazing resources that have been around for a long, long time that illustrate how we can raise our children to understand scripture because it shapes their worldview. And I think my, my kind of parting thought on that is don't assume for a moment that if you don't disciple your children, they aren't being discipled. That's right. They are being discipled every day. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you have a responsibility to to disciple your children, you have been granted this incredible gift from God to steward. And as a part of stewarding that, you have to bring them back to him over and over and over again on a daily basis. So that's a little bit about how we do it from a practical sense. Man, that's really good. That's really good. Well, Chris, it's been uh, it's been a joy to have you on this podcast. And I know our parents are definitely going to be blessed. Uh, before I let you go, I got two last things. I want to just say, I mean, do you have anything else that you want to say to parents just whatever. I mean, just about discipling their kid or just about being a parent. I mean, you have anything else you want to say specifically to sixth through 12th grade parents? Yeah, I would just encourage you that we are frequently tempted to think that I have to get my relationship with God right before I can pour into my kids. Mm. And that's just not right. God will do so much in you as you bring your children to the word, because you're, you're not coming in as an authority on the word. You're coming in as a student as well. Mm. And so lean into the word together that build those relationships around God's word and around these incredible resources that have been created there. Pray with your family and just watch what God does because he will change you. You cannot get close to God without him changing you. There's no way to stay the same when you spend time with him. So do it individually. Don't, don't you know, spend time with your kids in prayer and in the word only. Do it individually, but then also spend time with them and don't wait because every single moment you can capture and make it holy because of what God has called you to and position he's put you in.
Mm, that's so good. Um, and then one last thing, what are you reading audio, listening to audio books, books, podcasts, blogs? I mean, that's just really rocking you right now that you're just like, man, it doesn't even have to be about parenting, but just anything in general that you would recommend or is just like, man, this is so good. Yeah. I just recently finished a book called gentle and lowly. Uh, I think it's by Dane Orland and it was, it's not a long read. It's just like 140 pages, something like that, but it was so good. It really highlights the fact that in scripture, the only time Jesus describes himself is he says, I am gentle and lowly. And so it just unpacks that. And it did just wonderful things for my faith and my personal walk. And as a parent, it was extremely helpful to see who Jesus is and his posture. And so I just commend that book to you. I think it's a, a book that every Christian could should read. It's just soaked in scripture. Um, so that one just had a really, really great impact on me in the last couple of months. Mm, that's good. Well, Chris, thanks, man. I, I really do appreciate it all the way up in uh, H-Town, G-Town, wherever you're living at right now near Nashville. Uh, thank you for making the time to talk to me and talk to our parents. I really appreciate it. Uh, here on the PowerPoint podcast, our mission is to help you, the parent, realize and accomplish this truth that you're the primary disciple maker of your student. I hope today's episode with Chris has really encouraged you and sort of equipped you to just take the moments as they come and engage and disciple your student well. Like Chris said, they're being discipled in something. Just because you're not doing it doesn't mean it's not happening. They are being discipled and you, the parent, have the opportunity uh, and the, the platform to disciple them in Jesus. So parents, be encouraged and I hope you're equipped and go and parent like you never have before. 